0: Welcome to this episode of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network.
1: I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. And I'm Mark Legere. Thanks a lot for uh, having me this week, guys.
0: So there's been some new uh, information come out from Stats Canada on population data, some of it which is quite important uh, to understand what's going on in Atlantic Canada. We thought we would spend uh, this episode talking about the numbers and the ramifications of those numbers on some very important parts of uh, of the economy in Atlantic Canada. And
1: David, why don't you kick us off and and summarize some of the, the numbers and trends that we're seeing. Sure, Mark, but before I do, I do wanna start with a quick story. When I joined government as chief
2: economist to the New Brunswick government in 2015, I was met with the Department of Finance and I was told we were in for a long period of population stagnation. Uh, The folks in government did not believe that uh, population would be growing anytime soon. Of course, we had more deaths than births. And I made population growth a key uh, uh, focus of the economic development of the province. We had a population growth plan. um, And really, uh, because of a variety of factors, the pandemic being one that we'll talk about, I'm sure, uh, we've seen record levels of population growth now. Just a few numbers, just in the last year, Uh, The population of PEI increased by 3.6% in one year. Uh, In uh, New Brunswick, it was 2.9% in one year. Uh, And in Nova Scotia, it was 2.7%. Those are record levels of population growth. Uh, New Brunswick added uh, uh, in in the last five years, has added 45,000 to the population. And that's just to to June 30th. And uh, Nova Scotia has added almost 70,000 people. Over a five year period. So it's really, really strong population growth, um, putting pressure on things, of course, as we'll talk about. But the other summary information that I wanted to share with our listeners is that the vast majority of that population is young, between the ages of 18 and 44. Uh, So we're seeing uh, population growth in those younger age cohorts uh, directly as a result of immigration, but also. A lot of the folks moving here from other parts of Canada in the last year were actually quite young. They were under the age of 45. Uh, and so we're seeing lots of growth to offset the older population as they leave the workforce. So very, very exciting. I don't think anybody would have predicted this um, even two years ago before the pandemic, but certainly if you go back four or five years ago. Um, um, and I just one other quick point before we open it up for conversation or discussion. Um, the quarterly population numbers came out uh, right after the annual numbers. So the annual numbers are for the end of uh, June. Uh, but we now have the third quarter numbers for uh, between June and September. And these are estimates. Uh, but again, record levels of population growth uh, uh, in the third quarter. Um, New Brunswick uh, was supposedly, uh, if, if Stats Canada is right, New Brunswick added uh, 7,400. Uh, uh, just in the quarter, and Nova Scotia added 9,400 to the population in just one quarter, uh, uh, Prince Edward Island 3,400. So so very, very positive population numbers, and uh, I'd love to hear your initial thoughts and feedback.
0: Uh, one thing that I would say that I think is really important for people to understand is that the The growth in that uh, what I call uh, the baby-bearing segment of the population is really important to bringing down our median age in Atlantic Canada. In fact, the numbers uh, out today uh, or this week suggest that PEI has already started to turn the median age around. Uh, The only province in Atlantic Canada that have more births than deaths, that's a good sign, I think. And But there are other consequences of that age group that we need to maybe talk about, especially when it comes to um, education, because we're going to need more schools. (laughs) now. It's going to be like the baby boomer uh, uh, age all over again. We're going to need more schools than we currently have um, to deal with the population growth of uh, young kids.
2: Yeah. So even if you go back to 2015, when I joined government, even in the Moncton area, the school system was planning on bringing in those porta classrooms, those little ones that are—they're like in a truck—and you bring them in, you you roll them up. Because even in Moncton, uh, which is was a fast growing at that time, uh, the, some of the planning was suggesting that there'd be less students in the coming years uh, than there was in 2015. And I was saying at the time, "Look, no, no, we need we need this growth uh, to rebalance our demographics and ensure we have enough workers for the future." So th- this is going to be just the start of it. If we're successful, we'll be attracting a lot more. And as you say, Don, needing a lot more schools. And now that's not just a mountain issue. We have to look at it all across uh, Atlantic Canada.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, But, you know, one of the things that I'm struck with by those numbers, David, and uh, it really hit me hard, is that, uh, you know, Canada has for 60 years grown about 1% a year for 60 years, which is kind of growth under control, as I like to call it. And now we're hitting two and a half, three 3%. Uh, you know, the question that, that I have in my mind, and I think it's worth, uh, you know, starting a discussion about it is how long can we sustain that level of rapid growth without something, you know, and it's already started, we're starting to see early signs, something starting to stress our our, our economy and our social net uh, network that we have in place. And I, I just don't think it's sustainable. I don't know how you control it. Now that we're so popular and people want to move here, not just from other parts of the world, but from other parts of Canada, you know, it's great on the one hand, but now we have growth that, you know, is almost, almost not sustainable uh, at this level.
2: Yeah, so uh, I've crunched the numbers, Don, and it, in my uh, estimation, we're going to need between around one and a half, one to 1.5% growth per year in population to meet the New Brunswick and Nova Scotia targets that were set by the premiers not that long ago. So you're right; these numbers are well above that. So I don't think we have to sustain that. Now you can't necessarily turn people away, and the concern I have is that a lot of the folks moving here from uh, Ontario, and again, that was you know that was very very large share of this population growth. We've had record levels of immigration, but we've also had record levels of interprovincial migration in the last year. Uh, And I think those you can't control, whereas with immigration, we have some control over who's coming in in terms of their skills, their ability to attach to the workforce. We don't have that same control over the interprovincial migration because they're coming in with no strings. And if you look at the job vacancy numbers, uh, uh, Mark and Don, they're still high across the region. There's still a lot of vacant jobs. So this is, this is kind of the problem. If we say, okay, now we're gonna pull off immigration, we're gonna bring in less immigrants because we have this, uh, this flow from Ontario, the flow from Ontario may not be meeting our workforce demand. So we still have to be thinking about, you know, what's the fundamental problem? And the fundamental problem is that our industries need a workforce to grow. Uh, and to replace the boomers as they retire. And so we still need to be bringing in immigrants, I think, at a rate of around one uh, percent of the population. And then if we get this interprovincial migration, hopefully that's a let's let's say a bonus. Uh, but and I don't know that that'll be sustained. I'd love to flip that back to you guys. Do you think now that the pandemic is over, we're going to continue to see very high levels of migration from Ontario? Uh, and elsewhere in Canada, or do you think that'll sort of peter out now that uh, the pandemic is kind of? I guess it's still around, but kind of uh, receding.
0: Uh, you know, that's a that's a sixty four thousand dollars question, as they say. I mean, this is un, we're into an, an unprecedented period where we have a lot more in immigration than out migration. I can't remember the last time that happened, David, but it's probably been decades. And it's a, it's so unusual for Atlantic Canada to get more Canadians coming in than Nova Scotians and Atlantic Canadians going out. I, like I don't know, we're not ready for it. We're <laughs> we just honestly we don't know what to do with that because it's never happened before. But uh, as as we've been talking about the you know uh, you're quite right. We you know the immigrants provide us with the, the ability to cherry-pick skills and, and, and help in that regard, people coming in from elsewhere. I think a lot of them are coming with their own jobs, by the way. And uh, they're relocating because they can work from home. And then, you know, they have the best of both worlds, which is, which is great for us. But one of the great things, and I haven't looked at the numbers, maybe you have, David, is that I can only assume based on our almost historic low uh, unemployment rates, especially during the summer, with the increasing number of population, there's a lot more jobs in the, in, the, in the marketplace than ever. So we have more jobs, which means what? More government revenue, more consumer spending. You know, you can see it in almost every sector. So we, we're getting a lift. Everybody's getting a lift by that new uh, group coming in because, as I always like to say, that person needs to be housed. They need to be fed. They need clothes. They need transportation at a minimum, right? And that that stimulates economic activity, and it also creates jobs, obviously. And it's one of the things I'm going to look at, to kind of because I'm pretty sure that the number of jobs have been in increasing over this period uh, it, with uh, raising, uh, uh, rising rising uh, population. And that uh, I know that's certainly true for uh, PEI because I did look at that not that long ago. So that's, uh, I think, a really important side note that people need to understand that these people coming in are not taking anybody's jobs. They're actually creating a new, a new group of jobs, which is good for, uh, for the economy, obviously. But it also, there are some negatives that go with it, too, that I'm sure we're going to talk about.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I have looked at the numbers that employment is up and the workforce uh, is larger, I'm not sure that even the uh, labor force survey sampling is properly capturing this effect uh, because of the population movement, it's so quick. Um, uh, I'm not hundred percent sure that even statistically we're capturing that in the labor force survey data, but certainly there has been growth in employment. Uh, unemployment rates are are very low across the region as you indicated, you know, we have to adjust for employment insurance usage as you and I have talked about on many occasions. Uh, But if you adjust for that, you know, unemployment rates are record low in urban and even in rural areas across the region. So we do have to uh, realize that. I think you're right. And and those people bringing remote jobs, that's good for the economy. It just doesn't meet your it doesn't address workforce shortages, but it does increase tax revenue. It does increase economic activity. It does increase federal transfers. Uh, all of that social and health transfer money from the federal government is all done on a per capita basis. So, so you know, it's, there's no downside except for the fact that it's stressing out the system, right? Because we weren't ready for growth. I, I'm telling you, I don't want to co- keep going back to that 2015 discussion, but we were talking about closing rural roads. We were talking about closing certain bridges in rural New Brunswick because there wasn't enough traffic. And I walked away from those discussions thinking, man, the government is 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 gearing up for 20 years of decline. And so and we've that whole thing has been totally flipped on its head. forty five thousand now if you look at the quarterly numbers, over 50,000 new population in New Brunswick uh, in the, in just the last five years. I mean this is this is unprecedented. If you go back in the population data back to the 50s, this is unprecedented. And now we've got to think about how we support that. And I do. I'm sure we've all heard about the healthcare shortages and I actually met with the executive team at one of the big health networks recently and I asked them, were you ready for this level of growth? And of course the answer was absolutely not. We had no idea this was coming. And so now you've got to deal with all the post-pandemic stresses on the healthcare system. Uh, You've got strung out nurses and doctors and you've got sort of healthcare practitioners that are struggling. Uh, and now we're we're dumping you know uh, thousands and thousands of mo- new population into the healthcare system every year across the region, and it's bound to put stresses. So I I would love for you guys to weigh in on on uh, specifically on healthcare. You know how do we, how do we how do we make sure that uh, that we're providing those services in an effective way in an era in a time of sustained population growth. And I and
1: I think David going back to a. a Sorry, a question that you, 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 know, you had for us a few minutes ago around whether we could, keep, could sustain the immigra- immigration from other provinces. I think a lot of it will come down to being able to meet basic services around health care, around education. Uh, that's that's going to be really key because a lot of people have moved in here from outside the province because of uh, perceived advantages of living in Atlantic Canada around, around affordability. You know, largely and 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 lifestyle here. I mean, we're going to have to drill down more into that. That may not be the only reason, but it's a lot of those supposed advantages that we have that could turn into disadvantages.
0: Well, let let me just add to that. You know, if you're talking about healthcare, uh, if you look at the number of people without a family doctor, those numbers are going up, and people are wondering, why Why are those numbers going up? Well, you know, if New Brunswick has fifty thousand more people living there than it did 5 years ago and Nova Scotia has 70,000 more people and PEI has 20,000 more people they all need a doctor and and they go on the list basically and that's one reason the list is going up it's not because necessarily you know there's a lot more doctors leaving there're still doctors leaving there's still pressures there but we do not have we do not have planning in place to be able to figure out that we need to ramp up the primary care access way beyond What they're talking about today, and it's going to be—it's going to probably be costly. And 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 frankly, they're going to have to start adopting some of the things that we talked about, David, in the past, like collaborative health centers as a way of providing access to primary health without necessarily having your own doctor. It's the only way you're going to be able to provide large numbers with access to primary care, in my opinion. And so, you know, as I said, every new person needs a doctor. Every everybody that comes in, and if they come here, to your point, Mark. They can't find a doctor and they can't find a house that they can really afford. They're not going to stay. So it's a double-edged sword. It, it works both in a positive way and a negative way. And, you know, I don't think many people who are in government, frankly, really understand the, 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 the new dynamic that we have on population. I don't think they really get it yet. Though they will catch up. But, you know, the gap between reality and what they're doing is actually widening, in my view. It's not narrowing.
2: But people have sort of equated government with like a big lumbering, like the Titanic, a big ship that's very, very hard to turn. Once you get it turned, you're all right, but it takes forever to turn it. But you would think a small jurisdiction like Nova Scotia or PEI or Newfoundland or New Brunswick would be able to move fairly quickly on some of this stuff. I mean, it it should be fairly straightforward. If you have a thousand new population, you need three more doctors. Or whatever that number is, right? And if you have ten thousand new, you need thirty new doctors, or whatever whatever those ratios are, and just be planning in growth mode. And, and of course, the physical infrastructure that comes with that. I will say, I've been using this quote now that I came up with several years ago. It is better to have the problems, <laughs> I think, of growth than the problems of decline, right? Because yep. it's easier to be talking about how do we, you know, expand schools than which schools do we close. So let's let's take the positive side of this. The government revenue is at record levels. New Brunswick—I I don't know the Nova Scotia numbers—but New Brunswick, you know, had an eight hundred and some million dollar surplus. Uh, the, the provincial government here in New Brunswick <laughs> had a had a had a huge surplus this year, and so I would say they should be, you know, looking out and strategically planning uh, uh, to invest in in even things like um, uh, getting your driver's uh, test there's big wait lines, big wait lists to get your driver's license, uh, you know, their driver's test because there's just not enough people that administer that test. So across government, you need to have a growth mindset. And that's what, you know, the premier should be doing is he should be tasking every department to say, okay, how is this growth impacting your department? And how are you responding to that, uh, that, that growth demand?
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I agree. I think that the fact of the matter is, is that, uh, you know, We have so many people coming in right now, Uh, uh, more than expected. I think you know these numbers. People will be surprised by these. They should be surprised by these numbers, right, guys? Like that's a lot of people coming in in the last year, especially a lot of people coming in. People may not recognize the volume coming in, Um, and uh, and and we don't have the mindset, as I mentioned earlier, to deal with that kind of growth. We're, we we've never we've never experienced before. It's a new thing in Atlantic Canada to say we have we almost have too much growth. <laughs> imagine we almost have too much growth right now in population, which means our 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 economy should grow faster than normal as a result of that. And like we've been o- operating at the defensive mode for so long in this region, we don't know how to do offense. <laughs> but we're going to have to learn because uh, then we'll be able to take advantage of this growth in a way that positively impacts as many people as possible in the region.
1: David, it's going to take you just back on this point to 2015 and you being in the province kind of tasked at looking at these questions. When you, what kind of growth did you forecast at the time and what, uh, what worked in terms of planning and what was unforeseen circumstances like a pandemic or, you know, an immigration wave? So that's a good question. The the province at that time did not have long-term forecasts for GDP growth,
2: but the informal number they were using was 0.5 per year in perpetuity, unless some big new industry came along like, I don't know, natural gas development or something like that. But they were suggesting based on what they could see into the future with the with the stagnant population, with the fact that the business investment was weak, uh, that government had to plan around this very, very low level of, of of GDP growth. And so what we tried to do is in the growth plan, it was actually called the growth plan, is say if we've got to focus, first of all, on population growth, because if you don't have the population, that you're sending a clear signal to industry uh, that you shouldn't invest here because you won't be able to find the workers you need for growth. So we were very clear about that. And I think we had some success. We played a role. In the development of the Atlantic Immigration Pilot uh, program that was put in place back in 2016. Um, um, We wrote the white paper around that, Uh, and of course everybody's taking credit for that program, but we did play some small role in the development of that uh, program. But I do think, to Don's point, like the last year or two have been unprecedented, and that's really been, I think, pandemic influenced. I think a lot of people looked down here and said, and when I say a lot of people, you have to be. You have to put that into perspective. You know, there's what is it, fifteen million or sixteen million? Fifteen million people now living in Ontario, so it's still a very small share. But if five thousand people move to New Brunswick from Ontario, that's huge, right? In terms of it's it's a it's a blip in Ontario's population, but it's huge in a in a population like New Brunswick, which only has eight hundred thousand. So we weren't ready for that at all. As Don said, in, in many years, we had negative interprovincial migration. Now that had been getting better in recent years, uh, but for a long time, there were more people moving out than moving in. That's why we had that term going down the road, right? That was a classic term. It was the name of a movie from the seventies that more you know, people just picking up and leaving New Brunswick or Nova Scotia or Prince Edward Island or Newfoundland and Labrador. So these, I think the pandemic, People started looking around, particularly urban centers, and saying, "Look, I don't want to be stuck in elevators with masks and people with pandemic." And I like the wide open spaces of Nova Scotia. Uh, and then they started looking at the housing prices and said, "Man, I can cash out up here at a million and 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 you know buy a house in Nova Scotia at three hundred, and that arbitrage I can take the seven hundred put in a bank." So I think there was a quite a bit of that going on all across the region. We heard about it in Cape Breton. We heard about it in Northern New Brunswick. Um, But now housing prices have gone up. I was just uh, tweeting today that the uh, assessed value of my house went up $130,000 this year, just in the last year. Uh, Now there's other issues with my house, because the person that I bought it from put a lot of uh, uh, improvements in the house. But nevertheless, I mean, that's a huge impact. And I think you know, there's the, the average assessed value of houses around all around this region, all around the Atlantic Canada has gone up significantly. And that's going to be more taxes for municipalities, but it's also coming out of the pockets of, of, the, of the folks. But to answer your question, there was a plan to drive immigration growth that has been quite successful. Uh, the interprovincial migration was unforeseen. And I'm very I'm hoping that it doesn't derail Immigration. Right, Because that's, as I said earlier, that's my concern, that governments will say, okay, now we don't need the immigrants because we've got all these people moving in from Ontario. And I'm just not sure that A, that's sustainable and B, that that those folks are meeting workforce demand here. Uh, I think Don's right. Many of them are coming with their own jobs or, or they've got other economic means uh, and uh, they're not coming in and working in our restaurants or working in our fish plants or working in personal service industries or, or, or IT or anything else, or maybe IT. Uh, But I think at the end of the day, my forecast would be we're going to see a reduction of that interprovincial migration. There'll be some. uh, And we need to make sure we're still attracting enough immigrants into this region with the skills and the occupational background to meet the jobs uh, and the opportunities that we have. Because if you look, as I said before, those quarterly job vacancy numbers are at record levels across Atlantic Canada particularly in rural areas, uh, miramichi Hamilton has the highest uh, in the, in all of the four provinces. And so that you say, well, that's totally strange, but it's a fact of life that the employers can't find workers in, in most of this uh, region. Uh, and so attracting population has to be part uh, of the solution now and the solution into the future.
0: Yeah, I just want to add one thing that I think we've mentioned before, but it bears repeating, and that is that the... Uh, the population growth is very uneven. It's really concentrated in kind of five or six, you know, urban communities, which gets the vast amount of growth. And it's the whole region that needs growth. I was talking with a fish plant owner in Digby this week, who was bemoaning the fact that, you know, you know, people don't, are not motivated to work. And uh, they're not good workers. He's having trouble finding good workers. He's actually bought a house to house some, immigrants coming into Digby to that will work at his plant. And I said, well, you know what, that's, that's, that, that's the future for you, obviously. But I said, what is Digby doing in terms of attracting people to Digby? What's the plan? You know, how many people will be needed in the labor force? Where are they going to come from? You know, it's, it's both a business and municipal responsibility in each of those communities to figure out that they have to be proactive on this. They can't sit back and wait for it to happen because if they do it's not going to happen. And, and like, I've been preaching this for a while and, and some, some communities are doing a pretty good job uh, putting together uh, a population goal strategy, realizing that that is their future. But you know, some small communities like Digby, they're stressed and you know, they, they get a few people in, but not enough. And there's lots of communities like that around uh, Atlantic Canada.
2: Yeah, I'd say that's a huge issue, Don, and you've been preaching it for a long time. But the good news is I just looked at the IRCC um, uh, permanent resident admissions data this week for the region, and the numbers are starting to trickle up. We had uh, in the first six months of this year, I think there was 260 permanent residents admitted to the Acadian Peninsula in northeastern New Brunswick. There was close to 300 Mm -hmm. in northwestern New Brunswick. So that those are positive signs, but I think you're right that planning, that thinking, that advocacy needs to happen at the Digby level, at the Yarmouth level, at the Cape Breton level, at the Amherst level. That we have to be saying, okay, what are the demands? I mean, Halifax is a is a is on almost on autopilot. It, it, you know, the only thing that's going to stop Halifax's growth is Halifax, right? If it becomes too expensive or just too crazy to build or or, or grow there. But the rest of Nova Scotia needs to be, as you say, very deliberate about um, population strategy, but also about the services to support that, because it's the same problem. You bring 300 people into Digby uh, and you're going to need two more doctors, right? Whatever, six more nurses. I don't know, whatever, whatever those ratios are. So you have to make sure you've got the public services, the seats in schools. In New Brunswick, it's a particular challenge because a lot of these communities are bringing in uh folks that don't speak french but they're coming into predominantly french-speaking communities and so they're putting their kids in french schools and they have to have the teaching capacity uh, to make sure these kids are properly learning french so it's good news for for these uh, francophone communities that are where population is going down they have to bring these folks in uh, but they have to make sure they have the capacity to teach the students Uh, once they get them in school, once they're happy in school, there's a much better chance of long-term retention uh, in the communities. But I did want to come back to housing. And Mark, I don't know if you want to weigh in on that, but I do think we've talked about it briefly here, but that is really the elephant in the room in terms of, if you don't have anywhere to
1: put these people, um, uh, you know, it's problematic. A lot of for me too comes back to, I wonder about, how much we stress about these things, and and that they are, you know, a, a natural, a natural part of growth and a and a welcome part of growth, um, because I know, you know, for a lot of young people that moved down the road, so to speak, right? And I would have been one of those people who left for a time. Those stresses were just part of what came with being in the place you wanted to be with a lot of other people. And I know I'm putting it simply, right? But people who mo- moved to Toronto. Um, you know, put up with high cost housing, they put up with not being able to uh, having a hard time finding a place to live, they put up with having a hard time finding a doctor, because they just wanted to be around other young people living and working in downtown Toronto. Um, and I, so sometimes I, I know that we we need to plan and we need to be prepared. Uh, but there I think there also is a, an element of just uh, also being being patient with the fact that, the housing question is a is a is a is a perfect one, right? You just you can't easily move forward new projects in in some of the urban areas, right, through municipal regulations. Um, you know, we're having issues in St. John right now around, you know, the high the high cost of building materials and the and how difficult it is to secure labor and it's actually slowed down building projects in the city of center of St. John as a result, right? So the, these things are very complex and we need to be patient, right, with with trying to figure them out.
0: Well, again, just on housing, because if you look at, I was looking at housing starts uh, earlier today and uh, the trend line is up, uh, uh, at least in the three maritime provinces, the trend line for building houses seems to be up uh, year after year over the last couple of years, which is good. But the question is, you know, what is the actual supply need? I I, I don't think there's a good grasp of what is needed. Uh, so, you know, uh, if you look at the average number of household size, it's 2.2, I think David, uh, and so, you know, for every thousand people coming in, you, you know, you need nearly 500 housing units. And, uh, we had, uh, 50,000 come into New Brunswick in the last five years, 70,000 coming into Nova Scotia. That's a lot of houses. Um, I, you know, we're, we're still in the catch up in terms of keeping pace, with the growth of the population you know this that, that's one of the transition issues that we're that we're challenged with in atlantic canada we're not used to having to build that many houses because the demand was never this great so it's great for the housing building industry uh it's even great for my the business i'm involved with the cabco because we're we've we got more work than we can shake a stick at you know so uh economically for businesses it's really really good but there's still a gap, and, and and why do we know there's a gap? Because costs are starting to, you know, stretch higher and higher. And If we are are going to maintain our attractiveness as an affordable place to live, we've got to we've got to align our supply of housing with the demand for housing, and that includes, by the way, a discussion about affordable housing, especially especially rental units, because. You know, you can't be paying a couple thousand dollars a year when you're making $30,000, you know, wages. That doesn't work. You know, we've got to find ways to get more affordable housing uh, built uh, for almost every community.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think, yeah, I think Mark is right. There's some, you have to let the system adjust somewhat. But I think that when it comes to housing, there's just so many issues there, and I think the place you start, Don, is, is as you said, it's properly forecasting demand. If you go back to previous times in history where we saw fairly significant population growth in the '70s and some points in the '80s and early '90s, you know, housing starts per ten thousand were double than they are now, uh, even with the latest increases. So, so, so it's again, it comes back to municipalities saying, "Look, we think we're going to need." We have no idea for sure. But we want to grow our population by one and a half percent per year. So that means we're going to need this many houses. So there's going to be ups and downs from year to year. But on average, we think we're going to need, you know, Minto, New Brunswick, we're going to need 22 houses a year over the next 10 years. Uh, and then hopefully the housing sector can better plan and, and, and allocate capital and resources. And, and again, the big issue, one of the big issues, certainly building materials are a big issue, but labor supply is huge. You know, we, I heard stories of of, of uh, you know uh, one construction companies you know stealing labor by offering another couple of bucks an hour rate right, rate right the same day going to other work sites and stealing workers. That was in Fredericton. It was a Fredericton example. So so I don't know how to solve that. I mean, in some radical way, maybe we should be bringing in like they do in the Middle East, bringing in whole construction workforces internationally uh, and, and having them work on our buildings, I'm not sure, but I think we, you know, if we're going to double housing in a, in a structural way, we're going to have to have double the size of the workforce. And the question is where are those workers going to come from? And I know governments are working on that. I talked to the deputy minister of pedal here in New Brunswick recently, and they're trying to solve that problem. But again, if you don't have enough houses, it's a fundamental, it's a fundamental constraint to growth. If you don't have enough places for people to live.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, we, again, we've talked about this in the past, but, uh, you know, we try to go for a skilled uh, stream of immigrants, but there's a, there's an unskilled stream that we need as well. And and that's for jobs that, you know, Atlantic Canadians turn their nose up and don't want to work. And uh, like, you know, if you think about our forefathers, they were the unskilled stream that came over to North America to, you know, seek their fortune. And we need, we need a, a category of uh, immigrant for sure who can fill those kind of roles and, and would be motivated to work hard and to get ahead. Um, and I think that that gets back to kind of taking another look at our uh, immigration policies, generally speaking. I, I think this is right, right across Canada, by the way. This isn't just an Atlantic Canadian problem because we need to attract people who can do the labor work that's needed to get things like housing done. It's really as simple as that. And uh, it's going to take some time to do that. But I just want to get back to the point, David, that you made. You're right. This is not rocket science for the municipalities to take a look at their populations, look at the trends and growth and and say, you know what? On average, we're going to need a thousand new homes every quarter in this community. How are we doing on the approval process? Because, you know, that's still a challenge for, for many, many builders, as you know. And, like, they need to start to line up what they need to approve against what they need somehow. They've got to be able to line that up. I don't think much work – I don't see much evidence of that happening. I might be wrong, but I'm not seeing it. Uh, so that's a simple, That's one simple thing that could be done to start to match up supply and demand.
2: Yeah, you. that's right. We need municipal and regional plans that are clear about the demand, the growth requirements – uh on the population side but they that filters through to as you say the capacity uh to actually do building permits i mean the barrier there you know i was talking to somebody in my neighborhood it was taking five to six months to get any kind of a building permit approved uh, in the neighborhood in the community i'm in now so so yeah so you have to have the capacity to to, if you you know if you say okay now the 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 place to start is by putting the plan and saying, okay we're going to need 100 new houses a year uh, but then the second part is, okay, how do we make sure we have the right, the number of building specters, the right approval process, you know, the, the, that we can actually get this stuff done in a timely fashion. And I think a lot of that does fall on the municipalities. And as I said before, it's a good problem to have because the other problem that they would be having is deciding what to close and, 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 and scrambling because their assessment isn't going up. What they should be doing is using some of this, all this new assessment some communities i was looking at the numbers this week some communities in new brunswick the set the total assessed value of their housing stock has gone up by 10 percent in one year i think across all the villages in new brunswick it's up eight percent in one year which which mark that's why the minister announced he was freezing the community grant because they're getting so much more money from their assessment they don't need any more from the community grant although they're arguing with inflation there's other issues there but at the end of the day if you're assessed value is going up 8-10% a year, that's going right to the bottom line because the tax rates are tied to uh, assessment. And so what the province is saying here in New Brunswick is, well, you should be actually cutting your rates because your assessment is so high. But anyway, that's another debate. But at the end of the day, they need to be investing that the growth in revenue uh, in infrastructure to be able to support population growth moving forward. But Don, before before we get to the end here today. I I wanted to ask you, you had a career in public opinion analysis and market research. And one of my big concerns here is is that the public is going to wake up one day and turn against immigration or turn against population growth in general uh, because of all of this stress on the system. They'll start to say, it's not a racist thing. It's not an anti-immigrant thing. It's just a, well, wait a minute. If it's pushing up my costs, if it's pushing up you know, uh, making it harder if I have to wait longer to get my knee surgery, if I have to, you know, if it's taking me now four weeks to get a, a driver's license instead of two, maybe we need to put the brakes on population growth. So I'm not saying it's anti immigrant. What I'm saying is, do you think the population might turn anti growth? And then that sort of filters into politics. And then you get into a weird situation where you actually have the Atlantic provinces' politicians. Calling for less growth. So, what, based on your knowledge of the public, what do you what do you think the the risks is on that front?
0: Um, there's always been a segment of the population that have been kind of anti growth, and uh, you know, people are really comf- comfortable in their discomfort, if you will. And um, <laughs> it's surprising, um, but there's uh, there's probably still a, a group of people. I, I think they tend to be a little older, more set in their ways, who are, you know like the stability of, of things not changing. And, and that's probably not just the land Canadians who feel that way, by the way, but almost anywhere, who wonder what's going on. You know, everything is changing and why do we need to do this? Like, everything's good the way it is. But they don't depend on jobs, usually. You know, they don't uh, depend on, um, uh, you know, new housing because uh, they have it. Uh, so I, I think that there's probably a skew a more negative to growth from older people who want status quo. Because they're more comfortable with status quo. And I get that. Um, I think the younger population, especially in urban areas, are pro what's going on. And you know why I say that? Because they're coming here in droves. They're coming here in big numbers. They are attracted to growth. And especially the dynamic of of the growth that we're seeing in our urban centers like Moncton and Charlottetown um, and Halifax of a young younger population, a, a, a certain vibe that people are attracted to. You know, I'm kind of reminded of where Vancouver was 20 25 years ago, where people really started to go there in big numbers because they really felt something was happening there. We, we have that same situation here, I believe, with the younger demographic. So I'm hopeful that we don't get to a point where we have, even as, you know, what I would call a significant minority, who think it's a bad thing for us to have growth. I just think we have to help people understand that, you know, we're going through a transition period and there's going to be some rough, roughness to that until we get, you know, all the equations set, you know, the right amount of housing for the right amount of people coming in, the right number of docks for the right number of people. I mean, that's going to take time. We're, in, we're, we're trying to figure all that out. We will figure it out eventually. But in the meantime, it's tough on everybody, you know, and I think everybody sees that, but you, you have to have a sort of a five or 10 year perspective here. In five or ten years, like you know, if we do the right things, uh, we're going to be we're going to be uh, way better off in Atlantic Canada than we were ever before, in my view.
2: Well, I would suggest that the listeners to our podcast should weigh in uh, on whatever platform, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, to weigh in on, with their thoughts on on what this uh, significant population growth surge could mean, whether it will be sustained. Uh, obviously, uh, we do want to hear from, from the listeners. And Don, I think as we talk to guests in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking to university uh, presidents. We're going to be talking to economic development folks. We're going to be talking to a lot of other influencers and leaders across Atlantic Canada. We should be asking them, you know, how is your uh, organization uh, coping with and, and leaning into and embracing uh, these growth opportunities here in the region? Because I think it fundamentally has to be positioned as a positive thing but we understand that you have to be able to support growth. If you can't support growth, eventually it might turn into a negative thing.
0: That's 100%. I agree with you.
2: All right. So Mark, do you want to end us today? This, uh, this special edition of
1: the insights podcast. Yes. And thanks a lot for, for having me join you guys. I I hate sounding like the uh, sometimes I feel like the lefty in the room. And then sometimes I feel like the, the libertarian and I just think on on, you know, on this question, I'm pretty much aligned with you guys. What I, part of the reason, David, I was even going back to what, how you guys saw things in 2015 and, and then the pandemic happened. Like I, I would have a lot of concerns about trying to constrain growth or slow growth in population uh, to try and manage it because of the unforeseen, right? Um, I, I'm kind of one of these people that thinks to a certain degree, you got to, you have to leave things unchecked and let them uh, grow organically as they're going as they're going to grow and and then trying to try to manage that growth but to me uh, i i just you know and i i, I brought this up earlier uh, i remember moving to Toronto and and fate and facing personally as a young person all the challenges that we're starting to face now and i didn't see any of it as negative as then i just saw it as something i had to deal with it's it's the uh you know it's or the problems of success right um, and I think the, the you know, the three of us are probably pretty much uh, aligned on, on that question. Better to be managing uh, growth than managing decline. All right. On that note, we'll see you next week, folks. Take care. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legier helped produce this episode. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. John and David will be back again next week.